You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. I'm an advocate for women's rights in childbirth, founder of Birth Monopoly, co-creator of the Exposing the Silence Project, a national photography project on birth trauma, and former vice president of Improving Birth, the nation's largest consumer-based maternity care advocacy organization. You can learn more about my work at birthmonopoly.com. This program is supported by attorney Susan Jenkins, a national advocate for midwives and birth activists, specializing in business, governmental, and political issues related to birthing rights and the practice of midwifery. She can be reached at area code 866 Six eight six one three four eight. Would you like to support Birth Aloud Radio? Please contact us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Today we have my friend Gina Kirby. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for getting up at the crack of dawn to be- <laughs> to do this. I'm going to read a quick introduction. Well, this actually isn't that quick. This is kind of a long introduction, but Gina does a lot. (laughs) So you can't really condense it. Okay, here we go. Gina Kirby is on a mission. Gina wants moms to know that they are not being told and and that they are not alone. I'm sorry. (laughs) Gina wants moms to know what they are not being told and that they are not alone. On any given day, she's either sharing information about gentle birth and parents' right to informed consent on her podcast, Progressive Parenting Radio, or sharing tips on baby wearing on her TV show. She may be blogging about the newest information on VBACs, that's vaginal birth after cesarean, or writing about nonviolent parenting for a local magazine or syndicated blog. Gina is a tireless advocate for mothers, babies, parents, and the people that love them. She is a doula, a childbirth educator, a La Leche League international breastfeeding peer counselor, and a mother of four children under 14 years old. She has served for five years on the board of directors of Attachment Parenting International and is the ex-president of Texans for Midwifery. She is also a founder of Austin Birth Advocates and is a member of numerous local advocacy groups. Wow, Gina. (laughs) Wow. Wow. How did you find the time <laughs> to record a radio show with me? <laughs> Anything for you, Kristen. <laughs> well, Gina and I have hosted some workshops together, and we always have a really good time. And so um, I anticipate that this is going to be a, an enjoyable, lighthearted <laughs> next hour. Um, so I asked Gina if she could come on to talk about something specific, because in, in the workshops that I've done with her and, you know, what I what I've seen of her, Gina is really, really good at getting dads and partners involved in support, supporting the, the birthing person. Recently I was talking with some doulas and we were sort of talking about the idea of advocacy. And I mentioned, what about, you know, the dads or the partners and they kind of said, oh, well, you know, it seems like they aren't, you know, you would, you would love for them to be in a position to advocate for the person, but they're often so nervous themselves or, you know, they often, they often feel disempowered themselves. And I thought, oh boy, I know somebody who can talk about this <laughs> because I, you know, I've heard Gina talk about it so many times and I know that you have a really 
kind of like a high success rate in getting partners and dads involved in the labor process. So Gina, talk to me about that. Would you say that for the most part, your clients' partners are fairly involved? Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. They're, they're super involved. They're, most of the time, they're as involved as they were when they got their partner pregnant. <laughs> they're really in it to win it. Um, but it's just normal to me. Uh, and maybe because my expectation is that, that I'm either attracting that type of client or I'm helping them to do what they want to do. I don't necessarily think like dads like come, come in and they totally get like, physiological birth from top to bottom. <laughs> uh, they, they just know that they love their partner. And when I meet them, even in our first interview, the very first thing I say to them is, I'm so glad you're here. And a lot of times I find them kind of like almost physically taken aback. Like their first reaction is almost like, you can see me <laughs> because most dads, like they don't get seen. They don't, um, they're essentially persona non grata throughout the entire pregnancy. Uh, they're not allowed to even have um, emotions or like physical pain. Like they can't come home from work and be like, oh my gosh, my back hurts so bad, <laughs> you know, like without getting the eyeball from the person who's creating life inside of them. <laughs> so um, their basic needs as human beings aren't even being met throughout the pregnancy. So when they meet a doula who's like, oh my gosh, dude, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> They are kind of um, like, oh, wow, really? Why? And, and they will usually say, why? I remember this one dad in Austin when I said, I'm so glad you're here. He's like, you tell me a little bit more about that, okay? <laughs> I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here because um, that means you're going to be at the labor, which means my job as a doula is like so easy now. <laughs> I don't have to work hard. I don't have to do anything because you're here. Just by virtue of breathing in and out, by uh, virtue of you loving this person, uh, my work is so easy. Like you just have to be there and look at her and, you know, occasionally tell her you love her and we're good. And the baby comes out. That's how that works. <laughs> and then they just start laughing. And it meant a lot to him to be seen. It meant a lot for him to um, just have somebody tell them that he was worthy and worth a damn. <laughs> like, it was a big deal to him. Yeah. Well, and I remember you saying that before that you set it up right from the beginning. And it sounds like that, it sounds like setting that tone is really, really important. Yeah, like I expect you to be involved, but I don't expect you to be an expert. I just need you to breathe in and out and look at her like you love her. The end. <laughs> then everything else comes natural, right? Well, and I think for people who know a little bit about um, physiological birth, <laughs> that makes sense. But I'm sure that a lot of um, partners and birthing people don't understand that the the actual like physical hormonal stuff that's happening in that it actually does positively affect their labor process to have that person there and how cool is it that like you said literally all they have to do is be showing support and showing love and they are they are meaningfully contributing but it no, really does yeah. work. it's it's not woo or anything i like that i can back up all of my uh woo woo hippie crap with science <laughs> which like um, you know like i'm actually uh, helping to facilitate birth um and in a loving gentle way by just by bringing the partner in and walking away that's all i do i bring the partner in like here hold this do this and i'm gonna go get you some water and like what unfolds after i leave the room i don't have to tell them how to love their partner i don't have to like 
you know, any more than they have like a coach when they're making love. Like <laughs> you don't have to do that. I just have to bring them together and um, show them that I trust that everything's going well. And it's pretty easy. Okay. We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about how you encourage and keep the partner involved throughout pregnancy. We'll All be right. right back. And we're back with Gina Kirby, doula extraordinaire. <laughs> Gina, how do you keep partners involved throughout pregnancy so that they really feel like they're, they are a part of what is happening and not this extraneous person? Well, I think a big part of that is um, during our prenatals, I really try to make sure that I'm paying attention to both partners. If she has a loving partner, then that person is just as important and integral to everything as she is. Like, I don't want to just treat my clients like a, like a talking vagina, right? Like, she's more than just like some person who's going to expel a, a, my paycheck, right? She's more than that. And he's, you know, if she has a partner, because we're talking about dads, and I've served same-sex couples, and 98% of my couples are a man and a woman. So when um, I'm talking to them, I talk to them as a couple, not just like pregnant woman, extraneous person. So can you demonstrate that? Like yeah, exactly. Would you do that? So coming into the house, you know, they always, I, you know, love my couples. They're always so formal and trying, you know, here's some coffee, here's some food. I'm like, well, let's just get down to it. And we sit in their living room and I'm like, tell me about your day. And I start with a partner. Like, how was your day? What, what were some things that came up for you about this pregnancy or the birth that like popped into your head today? Like, don't act like <laughs> you don't think about it. <laughs> right. And they tell me their fears, which is huge. Um, and then, you know, I asked mom, like, okay, so what's going on with your body? Now what's going on in your head? <laughs> All right, let's talk about these things. But it's there. It's okay. My last name's Kirby. So it's like, it's team Kirby. I don't treat them like Melissa and Doug. It's, a team. They're two people trying to have the same goal, which is uh, they want to feel respected during their birth and they want to have a healthy mom and baby at the end. So I'm like, I love that you that you use the word respectful before you said a healthy mom and baby, because normally when I hear people parrot out the same goal in childbirth, mm -hmm. it's always a healthy mom and healthy baby, which is I think a really overused phrase that has a really, really wide definition. Yeah. Absolutely. And doesn't almost to the point where it doesn't have any meaning anymore. Right. I mean, who the hell cares that, you know, you, you survived childbirth if you're traumatized for the rest of your life about it. Like that's not really, that's setting the bar crazy low for humanity. Like just surviving isn't, you're not thriving. It's not the same thing. And I, I want better than that for humanity. <laughs> We shouldn't just be surviving trauma. Yeah, and not to like get off on a tangent, but again, we have what seems like sort of an abstract idea that actually has a lot of science behind it, which is respectful care and care where the birthing person is in charge of what's happening and in charge of the medical decisions and the things being done to their body that actually results in less trauma. And that's a, a really oversimplified you know, version of, of the research. But it's just true. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you an example of surviving versus thriving. Uh, I was with a couple, oh, this is a really long time ago, and this is why I changed how I doula. And uh, this 
mom and dad were really young. They came to me, they were 18 years old. Uh, I loved her so much. The way she approached me was so darling. She called me on the phone. I had no idea of knowing how old she was. Pardon me. And she said, um, I, uh, I really want, uh, I want to be respected during my birth. Like that was such a big deal to her. And I, when I met her, I was like, oh, no wonder. <laughs> She's 18 years old. And everybody was so rude to her. And uh, I took her on as a client, uh, a highly reduced fee, because she was just such a badass. She was like, this is what I want. This is, this is all I want. And I thought, at the time, I was just like, well, of course you're going to get that. I just, you know, I had all of these older clients that knew what they wanted, and I didn't think it would be any different. And I was just shocked at the way that she was treated at all of her doctor appointments. I was shocked at the way she was treated during her labor. Uh, I, she called me. I wasn't, I didn't have my doula bag or anything. I was driving around town. She's like, I'm at the hospital. I'm like, you're supposed to call me first. <laughs> and uh, I get there. And she's in early labor. I'm like, I'm going to go home, take a shower, grab my stuff, and I'll be back. Well, the second I left, they wanted to, like, break her water and induce her. Like, I was just shocked at how awful she was treated. And, you know, at every turn, I was there encouraging her boyfriend to, like, do you remember what she wanted? Do you remember what you wanted? You've got this. You're doing such a great job. You know, I'm dueling him as much as I was dueling her. And they ended up, you know, having the birth that she wanted, and she wanted a non-medicated vaginal birth, and that's, that was what she wanted. But I really don't feel that she got the respect that she wanted. You know, everybody was talking down to her, and you know, I did everything. that I, I can't make people be decent, right? <laughs> so in the end, and this is, oh, my gosh, she's like 30 now. <laughs> Um, and we talked not too long ago on the phone. She had a question about her, her son. And um, we were on the phone, and she still thanks me for being, like, the one person at her birth that looked at her like she was a person that, that loved her. Like, I was the only adult in the room that treated her like a person, and it meant a lot to her. And that stuck with me. Like, people just want to be respected. And it's just a bummer that that they're not. And a lot of women, regardless of age, aren't treated with the respect they deserve. They remember it forever. That's a big deal. Yeah, I hear a lot about younger, you know, like teen moms. Um, I can only say that I've heard a whole lot of anecdotes from doulas and also from those same moms years later about how they were treated because they were younger and comments that were made directly to them during labor about you see how much this hurts that's why you don't get pregnant at 17 and you know really you know kind of kind of nasty treatment um and i you know and i'm sure i'm sure that in the minds of the people giving that kind of treatment you know there's they they justify it in a way that um somehow they're protecting that person from themselves. But the reality is you have a vulnerable individual in front of you who is in pain and discomfort. And the best thing you can do is not traumatize them because you feel like you need to be punitive because of the situation that they're in. Um, And, you know, something that kind of breaks my heart about it is that, 
you know, sometimes those moms are there because they, they were raped. They didn't plan on having a baby at 16. They come in expecting some care and get um, ridicule. And that's, that's devastating. And when I say life-changing, it can literally be life-changing to have someone treat you that way in that most vulnerable time. And in the time when you're figuring out what it means to be a mother. I mean, that is, that's like your imprint, right? Yeah. On motherhood and, or on, on parenthood. That's my thing with dads though, right? Like, so we get that women are having an experience. Okay, men are also having an experience. So like a woman, the way that she's treated during her birth, she's gonna remember for the rest of her life. And she's going to take that into her parenting and she's going to take that into her marriage or relationship. And then like even worse, she's going to take that (laughs) into her community. And like, that's, that's her truth about birth. And that permeates into our culture. And so the same exact thing goes with that. The way that he was made to feel during the birth of his child He's going to take that into his, his relationship with his lady and into, into his parenting and into his community. So that's huge. Like every, every single birth counts. Every single birth is an opportunity to change humanity. I know I sound ridiculous, but I, I truly believe that. Like it's, it, every single birth is a chance at, at changing everything. Um, this weekend... I interviewed a PTSD expert in Alabama who works for the Veterans Administration Medical Center there. And she made a comment that I can't get out of my head. Um, she said, she said, childbirth is a trauma, which I, you know, instinctively think, no, childbirth is not a trauma in and of itself. But then she went on to say, it is, it's a trauma, but it doesn't have to be traumatic. This is the thing that is, you know, I'm sort of becoming more aware of, which is trauma traumatizes different people. So a group of people can go through the same event and some of them will be traumatized and some of them will not. My point, my point is just that it can be either super traumatizing or super empowering. And it's our responsibility. Anybody who works in birth has the great responsibility of doing everything they can to ensure that it is the empowering and not the traumatizing event. Right. And, and treating every couple like, like they represent all of humanity. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you, it's, it's a huge responsibility and an honor for me to be chosen to witness a family being born. And, and it is a family. I'm, I hear a lot from doulas who serve families, you know, talk about the birth of the baby and not really talk about it like a familial experience. My favorite part of the birth, you know, mom does like, she makes the face, right? When the baby's just kind of like, oh my God. And then, you know, when she's ready, she picks up her baby, puts her baby to her breast. And then she does my favorite thing in the whole wide world after she like really stares at her baby. She looks up at her partner and she makes this like little, like, look what we did, like this cute little face. And it's like, like right there, the dad's born, you know, and sometimes they cry. And of course I'm crying. I'm just bawling the whole time. <laughs> um, but watching the, the partner, watching this man become a dad for the first or seventh time, whatever is 
always such an honor and I treat it like that. It's a really heavy responsibility because I look at each couple like all of humanity. It's an opportunity to be a part of either trauma, not trauma. And I'm, I'm all about not trauma because, you know, a partner who is made to feel like, like he's seen, respected, uh, he feels powerful in that he's helping her, aiding her physically, mentally, emotionally. He's, you know, speaking up for her. He walks out of there like a freaking hero, right? Like he didn't save her. He protected the space. And that's amazing. That's a beautiful feeling to watch dads or like to talk to my clients years later and have them still like when they talk about their birth, you see them kind of like puff up a little and they've got a big grin on their face or they get wistful or they even cry. You're like, that's the exciting part of it. Like I'm not, I'm not there to save anything. I'm just bearing witness. And it's awesome every time. Oh my gosh. I freaking love what I do. (laughs) On that note, let's go to a quick break. This is Birth Aloud with my mom, Kristen Lipsky. My mom works at Birthman (laughs) Opti. We're with Gina Kirby. We're talking about dads and partners and getting them involved in advocating for the birthing person. Tell me about when you've had some trouble making that happen. When you've had a partner who seems really hesitant to get involved. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of that has to do because I have doulas ask me that all the time in our workshops and stuff. And I think we have to step back because we're going for like the end goal, end goal, end goal is to get them involved, right? We need to step back first and then ask ourselves, why is this person who apparently loves this other person hesitant to be a part of this? And so we have to go back to like the very beginning. Um, I, uh, one of my friends, Joe Valley, he has this website called Empowered Papa. And I have him come and talk to doulas because of this. So what he talks about is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, Nothing new, (laughs) but it's the way that he talks about it and saying that men have their own hierarchy of needs, right? And, um, you know, you have the basic needs, you know, breathing, food, uh, shelter, sex, (laughs) like on the bottom. And then as you get higher, you have different uh, things that are important to them, like Uh, the need to feel like you know what you're doing, right? We all have that need. We don't, nobody has a need to look stupid. (laughs) Um, uh, They have uh, all of these different needs and uh, I try to be aware of them now uh, and understanding like, oh, his need to look like he knows what he's doing isn't being met. What can I do to help him feel more like he knows what he's doing? And that's education, uh, showing him like, if you do this, when this happens, it's going to help immensely. If you hear this being said, these are questions that you can ask that will help you to feel like, um, you know what you're talking about. Like what specifically? Can you give me, can you give me a specific example? Yeah, sure. Okay. Let's talk about pain. Okay. So men's experience with pain is, um, I broke my toe. That sucked. I got in a car accident when I was a kid and broke like 12 bones in my body. That sucked. Like their, their experience with pain is very definite, right? So when they see their partner in pain, they 
only have those things to go back to. And so I really prepare them talking about what the experience is like for the woman and that she's going to be moving through. This is her body's telling her what to do. If she listens to this, like this, oh, oh, it hurts really bad right here. I need to move. And then she's going to move into another position too. That's her body telling her what's up. And it's not the same thing as her getting hit with a hammer. <laughs> it's, it's not the same thing. And like really talking to them about that. When he has that idea in his mind, when she's in pain, he's not going to rush to fix it, which is a normal, you know, I'm, and I tell them ahead of time, all of the things that you're going to feel during this pregnancy and labor are normal. And, and if at any point it just seems like it's too much, we can go out in the hallway and talk about it. I'm going to remind you that this is a normal process. Uh, and it's not the same thing as her getting, you know, uh, a nail in her hand. It's not the same thing. It's a completely different experience of pain that you're not going to ever be able to have. So let's talk about it. Just talking to them about what's happening ahead of time is everything. Because he's going to be like, oh, gosh, she's in pain. And, uh, and just break down, right? Like all of the things that they had wanted as a couple go out the door when she's in pain. Yeah, that's a good example. Oh, thank goodness. What, okay. What's another tricky area other than pain? What's another moment when you see partners or dads kind of freak out or like, you know, like, like they're the sticky situation for them? Oh, like right at the end, you know, they, they do really good in early labor all the time. <laughs> they're always like such champs. Uh, but it's when the rubber hits the road, it's uh, mom's a lot more vocal. Um, the staff tend, at hospitals tend to get a little, like you can feel everybody knowing like, this is it. And you can feel it in the room. You know, people come in, they're setting up trays. Like this is not normal for the partner and the partner, you know, their job is to protect and they get into protection mode, but they also tend to get into overwhelm, right? Uh, especially if they're really super protective or their deal is like they don't like blood, you know, there's, everybody has their own thing. So um, as soon as, you know, things start getting, like I said, really juicy, that's like, it's, it's terrifying. It can be, right? And so all of the plans kind of go out the door. A lot of them, you know, because we're brought up, all of us grew up watching George Clooney, right, in, in the ER show. <laughs> and uh, we tend to trust doctors uh, a lot. And so uh, if the doctor's like, okay, uh, mom told the partner, I really, really want to squat or like be on hands and knees when I give birth because I read that it's better. And that the lithotomy position, you know, second to standing on your head is like really ridiculous when you're pushing a baby out. And dad's like, yeah, 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 I got it. No problem. Whatever the you lithotomy want. position would be on your back. Yeah, on your back with your legs in the air, like, which makes the pelvis smaller. So none of it makes sense. But in the throes of labor, if the partner had told um, dad, you know, this is what I want. And dad's like, yeah, of course, babe. Like, yeah, being on your back sounds stupid. If the care provider comes in and he's like, oh, well, you're about to have your baby. I need you on your back. Dad's like, yeah, yeah, let's make that happen. <laughs> so like, that's an example of everything kind of going out the window. And that's, you know, kind of where I step in where I'm, I'm trying to get like eye contact with dad. Like, I kind of remember Catherine and you telling me that it was really important for both of you to be on hands and knees. That might be something you want to vocalize too. The, you know, I'm just there to remind you it, when everything gets cuckoo. I'm not trying to put 
you told me that was important to you. That's not me putting my agenda on a couple. That's just me going, whoa, didn't you tell me? Like, hey, remember that one time, like all the times that we met <laughs> where you said this was important? And, you know, and mom, she, she can't be expected to be able to communicate. She's in a completely different brainwave state. And that brainwave state is not a chatty one. So it's kind of put on the partner. Oh, I remember that. Let's talk about that for a second because I hear people say all the time that women need to advocate for themselves better in labor. Although I understand the sentiment there, I also find it wildly unrealistic in a lot of ways. Um, So I've been pregnant and given birth one time. I remember being literally unable to communicate. Hyper conscious of everything that was going on around me. I knew where everyone was in the room and what was happening. But if someone asked me a direct question, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like swimming upstream with like, you know, bubbles coming into your mouth while you're trying to form, you know, in my head, I knew exactly what I needed to say, but getting it from my head to my mouth was like, so difficult and took so long and so much concentration. You know, I remember a few times just being able to spit out one word answers, even though I had all this stuff going on in my head. And so, yeah, it's. No, I'm just going to straight up call garbage. It's garbage to expect a woman to advocate for herself while she's giving birth. It's so ridiculous. It, I'm sorry. I get really upset about this. If you're going to be in the birth world, you need to understand how birth works. You need to understand, uh, physiologically what is happening with the woman and you need to understand what's going on in her head and you need to understand that this is this is science uh there's a woman out there she's a midwife her name is wapio uh she's a midwife and she talks about how we know from quantum physics what's going on with the woman in labor and she's in a completely different brainwave state that's why you said i I loved how you you kind of described drowning uh, trying to get a woman who is in one particular brainwave state and asking her question that's a different brainwave state, right? So you're asking her to come out of this place that she needs to be in, in order to um, give birth, right? So that's so unfair. Yeah. Um, I love uh, you talking about like drowning because it, or it sounded like it. Uh, a mom is in like a completely different uh, brain brainwave length when she's in labor. So asking her to talk is, it's so rude when somebody talks about saying, oh, well, a woman should be able to advocate for herself. To me, that screams that they don't understand how birth works. And you're right. Every single – I've given birth four times. And uh, I told my, my birth team on this last time, I'm like, don't freaking ask me anything when you see me. Like when, when a woman goes away, right, when she's like breathing deeply and she just looks like she's not here anymore, she's really not. And birth is not the time to ask ridiculous questions. You just put water in front of her face. Don't ask her if she wants water. Don't ask her ridiculous questions. Everything should just be – something that she can nod a yes or no to like no esoteric questions. I don't, that's not the time. And you're right. Um, when I was in labor with Jack, I remember they asked me like, do you want to sit here or do you want to be over here? Or would you rather this like three options? And I just, I, I understood all the things that they said. And I clearly had an answer, a very articulate one in my brain, but couldn't make words. <laughs> and so at the very end, 
uh, I wanted to tell everybody, I'm going to have my baby now. Please put something on the floor. We were in the bathroom. I was on the toilet. I couldn't see like walking to my birth area. Right? I'm like, baby's coming now. But no words came. And all that I said was, idiots. Like, that's all I could say. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> like, why can't they read your brain? Right? I'm talking here. Why is no one listening to me? Like, I really felt like I was having a full conversation with everybody, but I was just more like, mm, right? <laughs> but <laughs> that's so to the very idea that a woman is going to be able in the throes of labor <laughs> to, to, to stop and, um, to stop and like articulate her needs as, you know, I need to be, and to advocate for herself, rubbish, poppycock. That's all I can say to those things. No. So that's why she needs a person who can articulate, who isn't in a Delta brainwave state, what her needs were. It's just like having your, an attorney there. Like if I were ever to have to go to a hospital to give birth, I would take my doula, my husband and an attorney. Like, I need somebody to advocate for me. I can't possibly be expected to articulate my needs. So I have everything written out ahead of time that says, this is what I want. For when all I can say is, you know, remember, this is what I want. Somebody be there for me. My birth plan is my medical directive because there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to say all of these bullet points when I'm pushing a human being out of my body. Come on. Well, and I want to... I want to like kind of throw a disclaimer on there. That doesn't mean that you don't want information and informed consent on things that are happening. Well, yeah. Can we talk about that? Cause that's a big deal for me is, uh, you know, as human beings, as Americans, we have certain inalienable rights, right? And then we also have a, there's a patient's bill of rights in case you didn't know that that existed. So every woman is entitled to deserves and should expect informed consent which means at every turn you have the right to question whatever the heck they're offering you because they're, it's an offer. They're not, you're not expected to do anything. Well, I mean, it sounds like, like, how do you, how do you put these two things together? One, yeah. don't disturb her yeah. Two, make sure that you're communicating all the information so that she can make a decision. I think you can only make both of those things happen if you're not unnecessarily interrupting in the first place. Yeah. which is really difficult in a lot of birthing environments. Oh gosh. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Where interruptions are kind of part of the, part of the process. Right. So all in my prenatals and my talks with, with partners, if I have the luxury of doing that, I've been a doula where I just meet them and they came straight from a birth center and I've never met them before. So that's difficult. That's a whole other kettle of fish. But if they're my clients, they learn about the neocortex. They understand what's going on during birth physiologically, what's happening with mom and that their job, I'm like your job and my job, like we're running defense. Okay. Mom's the quarterback. We're in the front. <laughs> I break it down. We're protecting the quarterback. It, you know, she's got a job to do. Somebody comes in like a really loud nurse, like, Hey y'all, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi, how are you? What's going on? Like you, you're going to set the tone for the birth. We're going to protect that neocortex. We're going to like, we, we are the defense and they totally get it when I say it that way. Um, and that's all you need to know. We're just going to protect her, protect her, protect her. I explain that to them and they really get it. And he loves the heck out of this woman. So he's going to do, you know, they're usually really good at it. God bless them. I love dads. I just, I, I love, you know, just watching them love their partners. It's so beautiful. 
Well, so now I'm torn as to like which direction to go in because I want to talk more about partners and dads. I also want to touch on something you said a minute ago, which was protect her. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can talk about this just a little bit, Gina. Not every doula sees that as the, as the role of the doula or as her job. Well, um, the idea of protecting the woman. Can we just talk about that a little bit? And, and, I, and I also want to say this. I'm not saying that I have an opinion one way or the other on this. But it's something that we can have a conversation about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not a doula and um, you're, you know, you're advocating for parents and it's beautiful. Um, my, my thing though, um, I will say not all doulas operate the way that I do. Um, that's for sure. Like I said, I'm not a popular opinion. Uh, and that's why you really need, you know, figure out what you want in your birth. And um, when you, when you're solid in what you want, then start going out and interviewing doulas because you're right. Not all doulas think that that's important, but I'm going to be really rude here and say, um, not all doulas understand how birth works. If you really understand what's going on. um, And this is like Michelle O'Don stuff, right? Um, uh, Michelle O'Don say a French obstetrician who wrote a lot of amazing science-based books um, about what's happening in the birth process what's going on in the woman's neocortex and the biggest thing that you can do for a woman in labor is to protect what's happening in the neocortex, allowing her to be able to go where she needs to go to give birth in a non-traumatic way. So uh, not all doulas maybe have read his books or maybe not all doulas in their training because all training is different, right? We don't have um, uh, doula world isn't uh, what sort of, it's not regulated or anything. So um, you don't know who your doula has learned from or what book she's read. So yeah, all doulas are different. Um, but I would hesitate uh, to choose a doula who didn't understand how birth works. You know, and, and I say that, like, I'm cringing. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to set my house on fire tomorrow. <laughs> like, that's a horrible thing to say, but it's not. Because I'm also, at the end of the day, I've had my show for 12 years. I've been advocating for families. And um, I want to advocate for a non-traumatizing birth. And if you choose a care provider who doesn't understand how birth works, I'm talking about OBs, midwives, you know, whoever, and then you're you're person that you hired to help you and your partner doesn't get how birth works, you're setting your, yourself up for, you know, maybe not the outcome that you wanted. So it's um, really important to find out who these people are that are going to be on your team when you're giving birth. Who's going to be around you when you are at your most vulnerable ever? Like your p- most powerful meets your most vulnerable. Who the heck do you want around you when that happens? You know, it's like, if we were to, you know, zombie apocalypse tomorrow, I know exactly who I want, like, with me, right? Like, I know the people who I want. You think around. about that, too? I think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think as a parent, you're always, like, there. You're always, like, ready to protect, right? And so... And I watch too much television. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, so... That's my deal. Not all doulas operate the same way. We don't all, we didn't all learn the same things. We didn't all have the same mentors. Um, and we didn't read all the same books. <laughs> well, and, and in all fairness, not all clients want the same thing either. Oh, sure. Yeah. And right? you know, they're most likely not going to like come looking for me to be the doula and that's okay. Um, I'm not the doula for everybody. I couldn't possibly be. No, no one is. No one is. Yeah. So actually let's talk about this. Okay. You and I have been interrupted several times while we've been 
talking to each other this morning by our children. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about, we keep saying, you know, mommy brain, which is really like a real life example of what we're talking about when we're talking about this altered state of consciousness during labor. When I'm in the middle of a really, you know, what is to me a very important thought and I already know exactly what I'm going to say and I see my son or hear my son like in another part of the house and my mind goes completely blank and it's like an antenna goes out to that noise or to that, you know, to that person. And um, my brain is like, I always say it feels like it's split in half. Like part of it is doing what I want it to do. And part of it is doing a completely different job that I can't control, which is attending to my child. And, you know, maybe that's one way that people can understand a little bit of what we're talking about, which is this is literally uncontrollable. I didn't realize this was a thing until I had a child and have experienced it firsthand time after time after time when I'm, you know, talking about something that I've talked about a million times before, know exactly what I want to say. And my brain like empties itself the second I hear or see him. And it is just amazing how that works. Well, because he's, I mean, this is how we're wired as, as mothers. Thank God or all of our, you know, our kids would never make it past two years old because we have to flush um, things out of our brain that are not necessary in the moment in order to be aware of our children so that we can save them from whatever, right? Like we want to keep them alive. That's priority number one. So everything else is just, and your brain is very kind to you by flushing all the other stuff out. That's not important, but it sucks when you're doing an interview or you're doing something important or you, you think it's important. That that's you're on stage in front of a room full of people, which has happened to me before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I know that's happened to you, Gina. It's horrific. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I'm trying to give a speech and my baby's crying and somebody thought it would be sweet to hand me my baby to breastfeed while I'm accepting an award. Which it actually is sweet. It's just not <laughs> conducive to giving speeches. <laughs> no, like I understand I'm a mom first, but like not right this one time. <laughs> this is one time, please. Can I not just be a mom first? Um, getting back to like the whole dad thing. So um, I, I'm going to say, first of all, uh, I'm a doula who really believes in, um, uh, I attract a certain type of client, right? I have an ideal client in my mind. So I get like super laid back, fun people who know what they want, right? That that's my thing. So I can talk to my clients in this way. So I'm sure some doulas will be mortified listening to this, but this is how I talk to dad. So, um, I'm talking to the clients and I'm trying to explain or art- articulate what we were just talking about, right? That, that feeling that you understand what's happening you can understand the language people are speaking. You have an idea in your head of what you'd like to say back, but it's really difficult. So men have no idea what this is like, but they do. So this is what I'll tell like a partner. I'm like, okay, John, picture this. Cause I know you don't know what it's like to give birth, but you do know something else. You and Tammy are uh, alone and you guys are in your room. The kids are out of town and you decide to become intimate, right? And you are now at that place when in your intimacy. And you know what? I'm lying because I just say sex. Like I'm trying to be nice to your listeners, but my clients can totally handle this. I'm like, I would prefer that you just use the language that it is. (laughs) Sex are not the same thing anyway. So So I'm talking to my clients and I'm like, okay, you guys are going at it. Things are hot and heavy. You are enjoying yourself. If somebody were to like walk in the room, what would happen? He'd be like, I would be completely pulled out of where I was at. I'm like, yeah. Or what if suddenly Tammy looks up at you and says, what's seven times five? Like, 
<laughs> would you be able to like answer that or would you just be like huh like it, it would pull you out of where you were at well and it's also like it's like you do know the answer yeah but but your brain is going through this whole thing of why are you even asking me that right now before yeah. you can even start thinking about the answer to seven times five <laughs> so the dads tend to really understand it at that point like they're like oh well, that makes sense, right? I'm like, yes. So how could she ever be expected to have a coherent thought when she's giving birth to your child? Like, it's, it's really going to be up to you to represent Team Kirby or like Team whoever. <laughs> it's up to you to, um, you, you know what she wants, right? Like these times with all of us together, they're really important for you to tell, tell John what you want because you're not going to be able to tell anybody else what you want when you're in that place, most likely. And if you are, it's because you've been pulled out of a place that you need to be in. And that's, that's really difficult. And uh, it'll, it'll just make giving birth harder. And like, that's the last thing you want. I know you didn't hire a doula because you want birth to be harder, right? <laughs> like that's the biggest thing for me. So like for dads, um, I've been holding this book this whole time. I know your viewers can't see it. So it's the father's to be handbook a roadmap for the transition to fatherhood by Patrick Hauser. All of my clients get this as a gift from me. It's a fantastic book. And inside the book, I write like right here at the very front of it, I write, um, uh, I'm so glad you're here, Dula Gina. And that's a gift that I give to the dads. Like very first, like first prenatal, that's what they get. Um, and that's a whole other thing. That's, that's awesome. Like, I, I love, love that. And I love that they have a, like a physical representation of how, you included them in the consultation right from the beginning. Oh, yeah. He's really freaking important to me. I need him. I, you know, a lot, when I first started out as a doula, uh, you know, when I was a baby doula, <laughs> um, I would do a lot of, I made so many mistakes in the beginning. And one of them was thinking that I was really important, that I was an integral part of the birth. Um, and it took me a really long time. I loved it. I loved it when I would show up to the house and the dad would open the door and he's like, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> of course you are. I'm here. You may have your baby now. You know, <laughs> it was just terrible uh, the way that I used to be a doula. And now I understand with all of my heart that after seeing birth after birth after birth with couples, um, what it looks like how important it is for them for mom and dad to both feel to find their power i don't empower anybody i think that's a bogus notion today i'm not like some norse god handing out golden hammers at birth right like that's i don't empower people but i watch them find their power and it's so beautiful and now that i understand that um i i get that i could go to a million birth conferences i could have a ton of certificates i could have all these letters after my name I could be an obstetrician and a midwife and still never, ever, ever be for her what he is. I can never make her feel what she, what she feels when he looks into her eyes. I can never make her feel the way she feels when he stands behind her while she's washing dishes and comes up and kisses her neck. Those feelings, those emotions are so integral to birth because it's just a continuation of sexuality. I could never make her feel the way he does. So the fact that he's there, he's my hero. I'm like, um, like I, I, I've had a lot of um, single clients 
you know, and we, and I do what I can to help them have those same things, like lots of eye contact that produces oxytocin, you know, lots of touching, you know, helping to make that oxytocin. But if she has a partner or a grandma or a best friend that she feels that way around, whoever the partner is, is really important to the birth, way more than I ever could be. And understanding that and having that humility has changed everything. It, being a doula is so much easier now. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Gina, we are way out of time. Thank you so, so much. And like I said, I know you got up at the crack of dawn to do this show with me. And I really, really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. anytime, anything for you. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time. This program is supported by attorney Susan Jenkins, a national advocate for midwives and birth activists, specializing in business, governmental, and political issues related to birthing rights and the practice of midwifery. She can be reached at area code 866-686-1348. Would you like to support Birth Aloud Radio? Please contact us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com.